Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 10, Chapter 23. Why do you think Pierre was unable to follow what was being said? Um, are you surprised? He's just kind of gone to the army, not having ever been enrolled into it, and just tried to know what's happening. Uh, and why do you think Bennington moved the soldiers? <clears throat> Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, Maybe if Benningson at all were more concerned with defending the country than providing themselves smarter than... Oh, sorry, than proving themselves smarter than everyone else, things would go a little smoother. Yeah, I think Benningson was just on a bit of a ego trip. Oh, look at these guys. They shouldn't be there. They should be up there for sure. Goes ahead and moves it. The thing that's weird to me is that none of those troops uh, p- pointed out to Benningson that the, there was a reason that they were under the hill and it was because they were in ambush. Um, and that's why they were down there. Kara Kikar says, If anyone has access to the great courses, I do for free through my public library. There's an amazing course called Great Military Blunders. All these chapters keep making me think back to that. Some of the major themes are lack of communication, lack of strategy, and not seizing the opportunity. It seems to me that Napoleon was a great general because he was a career soldier. He had trusted men below him, that he could communicate the strategy to and they could interpret his orders to the best advantage in every situation. The Russians, as presented by Tolstoy, by contrast, seem to be made up of 1,000 little noblemen playing at combat. There's no clear vision or coordination. Everyone is seized by his own bravery or cowardice and trying to have his way. The futility. I'm sure we've all worked somewhere like this. It's a nightmare. (laughs) It does remind me of some workplaces that I've known. Rybread Egg says, When my friends in the military talk military, my eyes glaze over as well, so nothing significant surprise here. I'm guessing everyone is trying to make a name for himself and has an ego. That's it, isn't it? That is it. Are they showing... They're not showing off for um, Pierre, though, are they? They're showing off just, well, for each other. Alright, chapter 24 goes like this. It's another quick episode today because that wasn't much conversation and there's not much of a chapter here on that bright evening of august 25th prince andre lay leaning on his elbow in a broken down shed in the village of kneyazakovo at the further end of his regiment's encampment through a gap in the broken wall he could see beside the wooden fence a row of 30 year old birches and their lower branches lopped off a, few, a field on which shocks of oats were standing and some bushes near which rose the smoke of campfires, the soldiers' kitchens, narrow and burdensome and useless to anyone as his life now seemed to him, Prince Andre, on the eve of battle, felt agitated and irritable, as he had done seven years before at Austerlitz. He had received and given the orders of the next day's battle and had nothing more to do, but his thoughts, the simplest, clearest and therefore most terrible thoughts, would give him no peace. He knew that tomorrow's battle would be the most terrible of all he had taken part in, and for the first time in his life the possibility of death presented itself to him, not in relation to any worldly matter or with reference to its effect on others, but simply in relation to himself, to his own soul. Vividly, plainly, terribly, and almost as a certainty, and from the height of this perception all that had previously tormented and preoccupied him suddenly became illumined by the cold white light without shadows, without perspective, without distinction of outline. All life appeared to him like magic lantern pictures at which he had been gazing long sorry, by which he had been by, by which he had long been gazing by artificial light through a glass. Now he suddenly lay 
Now he suddenly say, now, what the hell, what's wrong with my brain right now? Now he suddenly saw those badly daubed pictures in clear daylight and without a glass. Yes, yes, there they are, those false images that agitated, enraptured and tormented me, said he to himself, passing in review the principal pictures of the magic lands and of life and regarding them now in the cold white daylight of his clear perception of death. There they are, those rudely painted figures that once seemed splendid and mysterious. Glory, the good of society, love of woman, the fatherland itself. How important these pictures appeared to me, with what profound meaning they seemed to be filled. And it is all so simple, pale and crude in the cold white light of this morning, which I feel is dawning for me. The three great sorrows of his life held his attention in particular, his love for a woman, his father's death, and the French invasion which had overrun half of Russia. Love that little girl who seemed to me brimming over with mystic forces. Yes, indeed, I loved her. I had made romantic plans of love and happiness with her. Oh, what a boy I was, he said aloud, bitterly. Ah, me, I believed in some ideal love which was to keep her faithful to me for the whole year of my absence. Like the gentle dove in the fable, she was to pine apart from me, but it was much simpler, really. It was all very simple and horrible. When my father built bald hills, he thought the place was his, his land, his heir, his peasant, but Napoleon came and swept him aside, unconscious of his existence, as he might brush a chip from his path, and his bald hills and his whole life fell to pieces. Princess Mary says it is a trial sent from above, what is the trial for when he is not here and will never return? He is not here. For whom, then, is the trial intended? The fatherland, the destruction of Moscow, and tomorrow I shall be killed. Perhaps not even by the Frenchman, but by one of our own men, by a soldier discharging a musket close to my ear, as one of them did yesterday. And the French will come and take me by head and heels and fling me into a hole that I may not sink under their noses. And new conditions of life will arise, which will seem quite ordinary to others, and about which I shall know nothing. I shall not exist. He looked at the row of birches shining in the sunshine, with their motionless green and yellow foliage and white bark, to die, to be killed tomorrow, that I should never exist to that. All this should still be not, but know me. So, sorry, that all this should still be, but know me. And the birches, with their light and shade, the curly clouds, the smoke of the campfires, and all that was around him changed and seemed terrible and menacing. A cold shiver ran down his spine. He rose quickly, went out of the shed, and began to walk about. After he had returned, voices were heard outside the shed. Who's that? he cried. The red-nosed Captain Timokin, formerly Dolokhov's squadron commander, but now from lack of officers of battalion commander, shyly entered the shed, followed by an adjutant and the regimental paymaster, Prince Andre rose hastily, listened to the business they had come about, gave them some further instructions and was about to dismiss them when he heard a familiar lisping voice behind the shed. Devil take it, said the voice of a man stumbling over something. Prince Andre looked out of the shed and saw Pierre, who had tripped over a pole on the ground and had nearly fallen, coming his way. It was unpleasant to Prince Andre to meet people of his own, set in general, and Pierre especially, for he reminded him of all the painful moments of his last visit to Moscow. You? What a surprise, said he. What brings you here? This is unexpected. As he said this, his eyes and face expressed more than coldness, they expressed hostility, which Pierre noticed at once. He had approached the shed full of animation, but on seeing Prince Andre's face he felt constrained and ill at ease. I've come simply, you know, come, it interests me, said Pierre, who had so often 
that day, senselessly repeated the word interesting. I wish to see the battle. Oh, yes, and what do the Masonic brothers say about war? How would they stop it? said Prince Andre sarcastically. Well, and how's Moscow and my people? Have they reached Moscow at last? he said, seriously. Yes, they have. Julie Drebetskaya told me so. I want... I went to see them, but missed them. They have gone to your estate near Moscow. There we go. Prince Andre and Prince... And, sorry, Count Pierre have met on the battlefield on the eve of battle. What a strange occurrence, these two best friends. The bromance of the novel. But there's often times in this novel where they're just not really happy to see each other. It's kind of odd. All right. Have your say about the chapter, and I will see you tomorrow.